I'd call Central Services. Well, they're a little overworked these days. Luckily, I intercepted your call. You did... Just a minute. What was that business with the gun? Just a precaution, sir. Just a precaution. I've had traps set for me before now. And there are plenty of people in Central Services who'd love to get their hands on Harry Tuttle. <laughs> are you telling me that this is illegal? Well, yes and no. Officially, only Central Service operators are supposed to touch the stuff. Would you hold this, please? I... But nowadays, with all the new rules and regulations, they can't get decent staff anymore. So they tend to turn a blind eye, as long as I'm careful. Mind you, if ever they could prove that I've been working on their equipment. <laughs> well, now that's a pipe of a different color. <laughs> but wouldn't it be simpler just to, you know, work for... for me, please? Sorry, yes. I was saying, wouldn't it be simpler to work for Central Services? Ah! Uh, couldn't stand the pay. You couldn't what? Couldn't stand the what? Paperwork. Couldn't stand the paperwork. Listen, this whole system of yours could be on fire, and I couldn't even turn on a kitchen tap without filling out a 27 B stroke six. Bloody paperwork. <laughs> I suppose one has to expect a certain amount. Why? I came into this game for the action, the excitement. Go anywhere, travel light, get in, get out, wherever there's trouble, a man alone. Now they got the whole country sectioned off. You can't make a move without a form. Welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. And now, here he is, Dr. Fauci's personal masseuse, Teal. I gotta say, Fauci has been tense lately. That's why I thought he might need a masseuse, and you're just the right guy. I'm just the right person for it, yeah. (laughs) Hey, we're we're still here. We're still here. We're still here. We're still uh, broadcasting, as uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I mean, you know, this coronavirus—it's taken uh, taken some celebrities, uh, not a, not any big A-list ones, but uh, Mark Mark Bloom. Do you know that actor? Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, in the '80s, he was sort of like the swarmy—not super villain, but he always kind of played a villainous guy, like in yeah. uh, uh, Desperately Seeking Susan. He was sort of the clueless husband. That's right. Yeah, and in Crocodile Dundee, he was the newspaper editor uh, fiance. Uh, of the uh, the woman who then fell in love with the crocodile hunter guy. Yeah, um, but uh, you know it's just a, it's a sad end. He was only seventy years old, and yeah. uh, you know it just it's, it's sort of a reality check that this thing is uh, you know it's not discriminatory. It could get anybody. It can get anybody, and uh, yeah, just very uh, sad time we're living in. Yeah. So sorry to bring everybody down. We're going to bring you back up. Um, <laughs> we're going to try to bring you back up by talking about some movies, which I think is something we're all trying to do right now is watch some stuff. Yeah. You haven't, but you haven't gotten there yet, but I have, thankfully. I'm, well, I've been watching, I've been watching junk TV with my kids. And you know what? Sometimes that's, that's fine too, because you need an escape and yes. you're, you know, if that's what the kids want to watch, it just kind of helps tune things out for a little bit. Exactly. And that's what I've been doing is tuning stuff out with my kids. Yep. 
Now, there's something that <laughs> so we're on the subject. This is what happens with the show. I don't have it on my list to talk about, right. and then it, something <laughs> pops up. But uh, and, and since you haven't seen it, I'm just going to throw this out because it is. There's not a lot to talk about, right? There's no, there's no movies out and everything. Right. But the one thing that's making a splash on Netflix right now is something that I wanted to avoid. Uh oh. I wanted to avoid like the plague because I thought it was one of those, another one of those Netflix sort of exploitation documentary series. Uh huh. And so I didn't want to see it. But my wife, she came back, she worked at a hospital and all the people at the hospital were talking about this lion king or tiger king. Oh, okay. I had no, I didn't know anything about this thing. And so I was like, I really don't want to see movies or TV shows with uh, exotic animals that are kept for breeding or pets because right. I personally am just against that type of thing. Yeah. And, and that's not, I mean, it's about people who did do those things, but this thing is absolutely one of the most insane stories I've ever seen. Really? It is. Am- First of all, I, I, I've now we're halfway through. We've seen four episodes and I've come to the conclusion that if Scorsese only has a few more years in him, this is a, <laughs> this is the most insane type of Scorsese story. I, I don't want to I'm not even going to spoil it. All I can say will, is give me the setup because I don't even know the premise. Well, well, I will set up with what happened here is that within five minutes, maybe 10 minutes, I was hooked. OK. And then 20 minutes in. Our oldest son came downstairs to do something and he sat down and by the end of that first episode, he was hooked. So now we have to watch it every night with him. (laughs) And what's the most fun is to watch the show with him and every minute or so turn back and see his expression on his face. His mouth is always wide open. Like, I cannot (laughs) believe these people exist. It's it's essentially an insane rivalry of people who own exotic pets and one guy from Oklahoma, this dude, uh, he's a redneck, uh, gay, macho, uh, meth-addicted uh, oh wild pet owner named Joe Exotic. <laughs> oh and, he's got, and he's got a dyed blonde mullet. <laughs> and he looks like he's been smoking since he was two. Oh, wow. He basically ran this sort of wildlife preserve uh, under maybe (laughs) not the best conditions. And the people that would work for him, which, you know, they made meager peanuts, were all people that would be basically down on their luck drug addicts who showed up at the bus stop and he'd pick them up and they would go and work there. And then there was a rival person down in Florida and she's addicted to whole cats, but she thinks that she's rescuing them and that these places are bad. So she uses her millions to take those people down. But they all belong – they all have the cult of personality and that's actually – episode two is called Cult of Personality and you get to see who comes – who comes and follows these people. And it is. These are cult people and people who should know better. They basically throw that out in the window because they just have some kind of attraction. And that's the setup. I'm not even getting into how does this woman come from her millions. And uh, there's, there's, there's murder. There's intrigue. There's uh, murder for hire. There's arson fires. There's, wow. uh, there's long cons going on. I mean, this, this thing has it all in every episode. The <laughs> onion gets peeled and you cannot take it. It is so entertaining and insane. 
it, it's okay, just I, I'm it's gonna so have good. to check this out. Yeah, this just sounds too fabulous to to comprehend. It, it's great. And again, I didn't want to watch it. I did not want to watch this. And now <laughs> I can't wait till tonight when we can gather around and watch at least a good episode and a half. It's oh, so good. Man. All right. So anyway, so I watched that. And then remember I said on the last episode that I watched uh, Farewell, My Lovely. Yes. So, and I didn't really think it was very good, right? Right. Because I, I, I thought it was so bad that I had to quickly go for the Amazon Prime recommendation of seeing the 1978 The Big Sleep. Oh, right. <laughs> Directed by Michael Winner the, of Death, Death Wish fame. Of Death, Death Wish, yeah. So uh, you're sort of having a Marlowe fest? Yeah, except I'm having that bad 70s Marlowe fest where (laughs) this is the best part. So a few years after that, I think Farewell, My Lovely was sort of a moderate success. Right. Uh, You know, it's weird. There was a generation that grew up with Robert Mitchum that was still alive. Yes, yes. In the 70s, and they probably flocked to that. And, you know, it was set in the 40s, and I told you it didn't have a very strong noir feel. Right, right. it it, It exists. So The Big Sleep, they got Robert Mitchum back. To play Philip Marlowe. Right. However, there's a switch. <laughs> it, it's set in modern times. So it's set in 1977 is when it actually right. was filmed because you can see registrations that say 77 all over it. And it takes place in England. Okay. Yeah. Marlowe is now a detective in England. He's American <laughs> still, but he's a, he's a detective in England and uh-huh. <laughs> he gets involved in a case. And I, at first I'm like, this is weird because now you're seeing Mitchum in sort of a modern 70s right. suit. Uh, and he is 60 years old at this point, okay, when the movie comes out. That's right. how old he is in real life. Yeah. This guy looks like he's pushing 78. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> unfiltered cigarettes, man, they really got you. <laughs> he looks so old. However, he doesn't look anywhere near as old as the 70-year-old Jimmy Stewart, who plays oh, wow. a small role as the guy who sort of sends him off on his first mission. He's this rich I don't know why he's American, but in England, but he owns like a whole uh, castle. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yeah. And Jimmy Stewart was 70 at the time and he's playing a guy who's sickly and in bed, but Jimmy Stewart looks like he's 95. Wow. Ash and it, white. Was this, this, this has to be close to one of his final roles, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he was 70 then and he didn't do, he wasn't fully retired, but uh, he right. lived, he lived. This is, this is what's funny. I guess on the set, Robert Mitchum remarked at just how old Jimmy Stewart looked. And there was sort yeah. of like this joke behind the scenes because Robert Mitchum was, was a massive alcoholic at this point. Right, right, and right. And they thought, well, Jimmy Stewart looks like he's going to drop any day. <laughs> Jimmy Stewart lived exactly one day longer than Robert Mitchum. They both died a day <laughs> apart in 1997. <laughs> Uh, oh man! Uh, so okay. So here's the you thing. Know, in, in Jimmy Stewart's defense, though, he always looked old. Well, 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 yeah, well to, to you. Well, what, what are you? What are you saying? <laughs> even in, yeah, even like in Harvey, he looks old. He does. He never looked young. Well, he sort of looked young in like the Philadelphia story. He sort of does, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. Forget the plot of this movie, which involves blackmail and pornography and bodies dropping like flies and a plot that really makes no sense, but you go with it. Forget that. Okay, here it is. This Jimmy Stewart has two daughters, socialite daughters. One dabbles in heroin and pornography, and that Uh is Candy Clark. Interesting. American actress, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, From... 
American graffiti fame. She was about 30 when she filmed this. Okay. This is one of the most bizarre, unhinged acting performances I've ever seen. Really? She she goes berserk in several scenes. Her eyes are like rolling around. She has a a frothy uh, episode where she falls spastically on the floor and uh, has like uh, a seizure, uh, unexplained. She acts all hopped up on heroin in the most bizarre <laughs> way I've ever seen. And it, it's just... Uh, I, I can't – I don't think I would recommend this movie to anybody, but it is – I just couldn't believe it. I, I, this performance was so bizarre. And then almost as equally bizarre is the older sister played by Sarah Miles. And I'm not talking Sylvia Miles from Farewell, My Lovely. They just like the Miles. They got Sarah right, Miles, right. who they must have thought would be a great teaming for Robert Mitchum because they played in Ryan's Daughter together. In 1970, right. Sarah Miles is wearing some frizz. I don't know if it was a wig or hair. She's wearing this frizzy brunette hairstyle, and she looked like she was on drugs through the whole movie and had this inexplicable accent that for half of the movie, I thought maybe somebody dubbed her voice because they did so much ADR post-production that there were clearly words being dropped into whatever she was saying. <laughs> And it is it, it would be it would stand out as the most bizarre performance if it wasn't for her younger sister Candy Clark's bizarre performance. Wow. Okay. Well, I <laughs> it's so it's only an hour and a half too. Right. For some point. reason, this got me thinking. <laughs> <laughs> this kind of performance got me thinking of this movie Possession from 1981. I've heard of that. I don't know it, but I've heard of it. So with Sam Neill. Oh, yes, yes. I think you told me about this several months ago, maybe off air. Yeah, I think I told you about it off air. Yeah. Uh, Andre Zulowski directed it. I don't know who that is. Anyhow, Isabella Johnny has a performance in this that is as insane and over the top as that, like flailing around, screaming and reciting dialogue and just this completely insane over the top performance. And she's not the only one who does that. Was this a thing in like the, like that, that period of time for several years, a new acting type of performance? That's what I'm wondering. Is there something about this like incredibly emotive kind of meltdown? Uh, and, and, and she's not the only one who does it. There, there's a, I, I don't know who the actor is, but there's another character who basically also has this kind of, he, he's like spinning around in a hallway, reciting his dialogue and waving his arms around and like for no real reason. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and also all the, all the female leads, which is Sarah Miles, Candy Clark and Hey, uh, a pre-dynasty Joan Collins. Oh, wow. They all want to sleep with Robert Mitchum's character. Of, of course. But he, he rebuffs them at every turn, especially the insane Candy Clark, who her scenes with him. <laughs> you know, it, it, it may be in the next week, go to this movie on Amazon Prime and just okay. fast forward to the scenes with Candy Clark so you can come <laughs> back to me and go, oh my God, because it, it's really crazy. So anyways, I don't know. I had to, I, it was a movie that was so terrible. But I had to watch the whole thing just because I realized at some point whatever was going on plot-wise didn't matter. But right. everything going on that the screen gave me, I had to watch because 
it was it was like bad 70s movie. It was more of those scenes that I was talking about last week where clearly somebody had just called action and then someone was just taking a breath going, okay, what am I going to do in this scene? I'm going to act. <laughs> People with the gunplay is hilarious. With Kenny Clark is like trying to shoot him and she's like hopping up and down going, yeah, yeah. And then of course he filled it with blanks because he just knew that she was going like, to. I'm, I'm requesting that you attempt to watch this possession movie at some point if you can dig it up. Okay, well, I was gonna say if you could hand, if you could tell me where it is, you know me, I will go see. Okay, it. well, I, I will, I will do some more digging and see if I can find it. Okay, but you know what? Here's a movie. This is a little segue that you did, you did ask me to see. Yeah, and you, you put it on your best of that decade list, no less. Yes, a movie called Leviathan. Yes. And, and there's been several movies, by the way, called uh, Leviathan. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's a really popular title and yeah. so, and some pretty good movies, actually. I, yeah. Yeah. And it uh, was directed by uh, two people from Harvard, right? Uh, yes. Lu- Lucian Casting-Taylor, uh, Verana Paravel. And they also directed a couple of other movies, which are on Criterion now. One yes. sounds it's weird. And actually, after watching Leviathan, I put this on for a few minutes. It's called uh, Cannibal. Yes, yes. The, the I ha- I've not seen it yet, but I uh, yeah, it's I about check it out. about these uh, Japanese brothers. One who actually had been in prison for uh, cannibalism, killing yeah. and eating somebody, but he was declared legally insane. And I can just tell you, I watched the first ten minutes of this movie, and I'm already disturbed. Okay. Uh, okay. So Leviathan. Now, yeah, you're you are punking me. How how can you put this on your best of the decade list? No, 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 no. First of all, it's not even it's not even a narrative film, and no. I feel like that should be off. But oh, okay, well, I'll, for one I'll, reason, okay, I'll, I can switch it out for that reason. That that I think that's a fair reason. And you also did tell me you warned me that it wasn't for everybody. Yes, but I watched the whole thing. Yeah. And it's uh, what it's like an hour and twenty five minutes, but it feels like a three hours. It feels like three hours. Yeah, I, I won't disagree with that. It doesn't. It 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 is. Uh, yeah, it, it's an experience, and that's about <laughs> it's an it. Experience, all right, sir. Yes. Um, and I'm not. I mean, again, I'd be mad if like you tried to calm me into this, and I didn't know what I was getting into. I did, and I think if I was just watching on my own, I wouldn't have watched the whole thing. Right. But. It's essentially, and you may not have known this when you watch it, they just basically filmed the whole thing with GoPro heroes. Yes, I knew that. After a while, I'm just not intrigued. I mean, there was there was like good at five to seven minutes of a very weird unframed shot of a guy uh, cleaning himself off after a day of fishing. <laughs> That's seven minutes of the movie. There's another part. My One of my favorite parts is when that same uh, guy, the boat captain or whatever, uh-huh. is watching news on TV in the galley and is chewing tobacco and falling asleep while he's watching the news. It's it's definitely (laughs) observational. And I will say, and maybe this is the effect that it was going for, that for some reason when you're watching it, your oral senses are awakened. And even though you're not smelling anything, you feel like you're smelling the boat and the fish and the ocean spray. It's hard to explain. And maybe something that they're doing with the film makes you experience that in a way that you wouldn't with like a more beautiful, polished sea documentary. Well, I I think so. I mean, it would be, to me, there there aren't other films like this. Thankfully, (laughs) there are not. (laughs) Well, yeah. And it may be a good thing. 
But it does, you're absolutely right about the smell. Okay, so when I watched this the first time, it was in a dark room with headphones on. Okay. And it's just, it, it like you said, it's a sensory experience. And yeah, it it definitely tries the patience. Oh, sure. Uh, it's It's definitely a difficult watch. And yeah, like I said, I can't, but I'm not punking you. I actually think like, I don't, I can't believe that you would put this on the best of the decade. <laughs> That's what the whole time I was sitting there and I'm thinking he put this on the best of the decade, the decade, like out of, there's all these movies, great films, but no, he found that other films did not need to exist in the top 10 that this movie did. Well, I've never seen another movie like it. Hmm. <laughs> Have you? No, um, though I'm now watching their second film and it's right. it's actually still a little different, but it's that same, it's very methodical, but there's just something very creepy about the subject matter and I definitely right. think you should watch it. I, I definitely will, yeah. If I you like check this, it <laughs> Leviathan, you're going to love Cannibal. <laughs> uh, and well, and I, I got to say, I, I mean, liking Leviathan is a weird way to put it. Yes, okay. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's not a movie that I, I feel like I, I can really like or feel a fondness for much it's it's more just it's a piece of art that i have in it that i that i respect hmm. I, I don't know if i would call it art myself i think it's more of a project that they did for a social experiment and okay i can see that yeah or an see, anthropological it's an anthropological ex yes. experiment yeah it's it is i mean they say it's from their sensory ethnography lab and that's sensory ethnography is the best description of it it puts you into a into a situation or a place, a time and a place, and it gives you the sensory information that's related to that as opposed to uh, facts and information that a lot of documentaries will do and will interview people. Exactly. You're just getting the sensory, the sights and the sounds. You're getting that for sure. <laughs> yeah, you're, and, but you're pretty much just getting that, you know, in terms of this fishing boat in the case of Leviathan. And to me, there's something really interesting about doing that is sort of reducing cinema to just the observational and the sensory. And like the first 20 minutes of Leviathan, there's really, I, I think it's almost one shot. Yeah. I think maybe a, you hear a line or two of dialogue here and there. I will never look at a uh, crushed Schweppes can of ginger ale again the same way <laughs> after looking at it for several minutes. In after watching it for several minutes. Yeah. I mean, it, it again, it's not a film I can recommend highly, uh, except, yeah, I did warn you. You knew what you were getting into. I sort of did. Um, <laughs> hey, okay. So I just wanted to- But, but I'll take it a bit. I, I agree that it's not a narrative film, and maybe that is enough of reason to take it off my top 10, and I can replace it. Yeah. Someday you come back with another another choice. I am already, <laughs> I'm saying this is out. You cannot count this. Uh, but in the spirit of Leviathan, yeah. uh, and also I like to kind of, you know, especially where people are looking for things to watch. And I just assume that most people have Amazon Prime Video. I know that there are right. those that don't, but it, you know, I do and I know you do. They had a new movie that they were premiering. They mm -hmm. purchased. It's a little, little independent film. And the only reason I knew about it was the Brattle Theater in Cambridge had planned on doing an area premiere of it. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I had to cancel. Right. But they said, hey, but you, you know, you can see this on there. I mean, every, all these little independent uh, nonprofits yeah. are trying 
different things to try to keep afloat during these times. And so they're they're letting people know of what they could watch. And it was a movie called Blow the Man Down. Oh, yeah. I didn't really know much about it, but I did find out it was like a neo-noir. And it was set in the coast of Maine. <laughs> so I thought that was kind of interesting. And it was done, you know, locally actually shot up in Maine. And I thought, yeah. well, okay, this is kind of neat. So maybe I'll watch this. It's also only an hour and a half. And sometimes, you know, it's not about the cumulative amount of time that I spend watching movies in a week. It's about, hey, I can bang through a bunch of small things, 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. I've got a, you know, I've got it. So I, you know, put this on. It's also in 4K, uh, ultra high def, if you have one of those TVs. And, And not in Europe. Oh, that's right. With their, their slowdown of internet speeds. But yeah. I watch most of this upstairs TV, which is not 4K, and I watch some of it downstairs, and, and that doesn't really make it. It's a very low-budget film. Yeah. And I kept that in mind while watching this film because it is very low-budgety, and yeah. with that, you know, you have to kind of— you, you got to be a little forgiving. You do, the way it's shot, yeah. and also the script. This is what I think most people would have an issue with, is that it's a noir, and the plot— it's not that it's so easy to figure out. It's just that you're going to have a movie for 90 minutes where characters don't necessarily do what you'd expect characters, uh, people to do in real life. Interesting. They do and make mistakes and do stupid things in service of the story okay. so that the plot all fits in together in a nice bow by the end. Do you know what I mean? That sounds a little annoying. Well, you may find it annoying. I'm just telling you is that yeah. I think that's the knock on it. However... This, what I, what I like is, you know, it features a lot of interesting performances, some mm-hmm. by actors and actresses that I've seen before and some I didn't. The directors are Bridget Savage-Cole and Danielle Crudy. So you have two female directors right. directing okay. a neo-noir, which is interesting. And there are two sisters played by Sophie Lowe. Uh, and then Morgan Saylor. I don't really, okay. I haven't seen them before, but they've done a lot of different things. And... Their mom has just died. It's a small fishing village uh, town up in uh, Costa Maine. It's called Easter Cove, which is okay. I think there's a similar titled cove up there, but okay, yeah. There, uh, there's there's about a thousand coves in Maine, so so it's one of those thousand. It's a fake one, but there's uh, various actresses. June Squibb, she's an older actress, has okay. been in a lot of stuff. Uh, there's Gail Rankin. She plays a prostitute in the movie. She's been in things like Glow and uh, Greatest Showman and Her Smell. Another character actress who's very interesting, she plays the town madam <laughs> of okay. this coast. Her name is Margot Martindale. She's a really good actress. I thought she was really good. Then, like I said, June Squibb, she's teamed up with these two other actresses that kind of, they're like a trio of like maybe older sirens in a sense uh-huh. is Marceline Hugot, which you wouldn't know the name but you've seen her in a bunch of stuff and okay. then Annette O'Toole oh interesting who maybe puts on too broad a main accent they <laughs> over mainicized I think <laughs> I kind of want you know you had some experience with Maine and I'd like you to see this movie just so you could rate the accents okay I will definitely check it. I mean the thing is I will say that within Maine there are multiple different accents so basically everybody that's doing a Maine accent in this movie is doing one that sounds like a harsh Massachusetts accent and I think Maine can have that too it can but Maine has a, a little bit more of a drawl than Massachusetts nobody does this particular Maine but I, I will recall this story your parents have a place up in uh, off a little island in Maine. We spent some time in Maine. 
And I went up there once. And on the way back, I don't know what happened, but I got a little bit lost on the way home. And there was a big, huge snowstorm coming in as I was driving into, heading back to Massachusetts. Anyways, I stop in at this little gas station, but was also one of those things like out of a movie where people right. are going to hang out inside at tables and this is their meeting place. And at the time I had a Mini Cooper and the Mini Cooper was pretty new back then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I pull up and I get inside. And every head turns, just like out of a movie. These all these old guys with the the hats and like the outfits. And I'm asking if anybody knows how to get to wherever. And they said, "Yeah, saw you coming. We knew you'd be coming in and asking just that." And it sounded like out of a movie. It didn't sound like a real accent, but right. they had super thick like main out of the movies accents. This movie, they didn't do that, but I was waiting for someone to pull that out. Okay. Yeah. That's the down East accent. Ah, the down East. Yeah. Down East. Down East. Yeah. So there was nobody doing that, but I know that accent exists, <laughs> but this movie, it's really, it's like a female story and it's a noir and there's and all it's sorts. noir. Okay. Yeah. And there's murders and, and uh, money missing and all these things. It kind of has a little bit of... The Los Angeles overnight. Overtones. Just gonna, I was just gonna ask if it if it had a little bit of that feel. It sounds similar in terms of the neo noir sort of low budget. It does. I'd say that what I liked about L.A. Overnight a little bit more than this movie is it was a, just a little bit quirkier. <laughs> okay, right. This movie needed a little bit more David Lynchian stuff. Right. Okay. So it's a little bit too straightforward. Yeah, except there is kind of a weird thing: the idea that there's this. There's a whorehouse going on in the town right, to service the people town. and the fishermen that come in. And <laughs> and there's just a weird thing going on there. And again, it's a weird movie, but I just, you know, I thought it was funny. And because of the fishing tie-in, like right at the opening, it, it reminded me of Leviathan. It starts off really weird. They had hired these actual fishermen and uh-huh. they're singing sea shanties. Oh, cool. On, on the rocks, they're almost acting like a Greek chorus. That sounds awesome. And it happens a couple times in the movie. And again, there's just enough of these like little tidbits that for an hour and a half movie, uh, okay. it's like, check it out. <laughs> I will. Ch- I- I'll check this out. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. Watch that and then watch as much as you can handle of the big sleep just to catch this insane <laughs> performance. And also the first time he talks to Sarah Miles, because either there was something going on with my streaming and the voices were off, or I really do think that the whole conversation was 80 yard. <laughs> okay, the big, this is 1975, right? No, no, that's Farewell, My Lovely, which is also worth watching if you just really want to watch trash. But The Big Sleep doesn't even have the good script that Farewell, My Lovely has because they <laughs> did away with all the cool Marlowe dialogue. Oh. And Mitchum, he's, this one, he's sleepwalking through the movie. He just he's, looks like tired. Like, I have to say these lines, fine. He puts no thought. And his narration in this movie is not fun like it is in Farewell, My Lovely. <laughs> he reads it off like, okay, here's the piece of paper. You think that... Um, that Harrison Ford's uh, right, narration and Blade of Blade Runner is uninspired. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he never met Robert Mitchum on a good day. <laughs> Replicants weren't supposed to have feelings. Neither were Blade Runners. What the hell was happening to me? Mitchum was, was, was funny. He, uh, he would never talk about acting as anything more than a job. Like it, it was terrible in interviews because he would just say, oh, it's just a job. You just get up, go to work, do your job and come home. That's about all he would ever say about acting. What's the classic uh, 
Uh, Mitchum Roll. Wow, come on. That that one's easy. Is Night of the Hunter. Yeah, I was just going to say I mean, Night there's of the always Hunter. that actor, he gets the one performance that's so iconic, so amazing, and everything aligns and, and a masterpiece is created. Yeah. And that's it. But uh, other than that, I mean, you know, he was also, originally he was Max Cady, Cape Fear. Right, right, right. And then he has yeah. a cameo. Which in, is not a great movie, the original Cape Fear. Haven't seen it. Saw the I saw the sequel or the or the, the remake that Scorsese did, and I didn't like that either. I mean, the original's fine. It's just not, you know, it's, it's nothing to write home about. Well, his career was kind of derailed because he was caught in an iconic pot bust. <laughs> he was caught in a pot bust. Yeah. It, it hurt his career. Yeah. So anyways, you know, what, what we, what I've seen in the past week now, just as a, just a sort of brief notes before we get into the final part of our show is Criterion Channel in April. Oh yeah. These are some things that may be worth kind of investigating. So Criterion turns one in April. And one of their most successful things that they did last year, I mean, I get it on in terms of downloads, but I thought right. was successful because I ended up watching almost all of them, was their Columbia Noir series. Right, right, right. Well, we found the amazing detour. Well, detour, and then I watched, you know, was it In a Lonely Place? Mm-hmm. and The Big Heat. The Big Heat, yeah. Yeah, and several others that it just, it, they were just great. Well, they're coming back. Oh, they are. In April. Some of the same titles. However, they're going to have 13 new titles. New noir titles. Yes. Nice. And I nice. am going to definitely watch them. Oh, that's a great binge. Now, this is really for you because you've made me go down the rabbit hole for things like Leviathan. <laughs> and now it's payback time. But one of my favorite directors, Yorgos Lanthimos. Yes, yes, yes. And director of the favorite and uh, the lobster and uh, killing of a sacred deer. Thank you, killing of a sacred deer. Okay, so this is uh, Criterion's going back and taking a look at the early Lanthimos. Right. They and this is great because I've seen every film now that he's directed except his first movie. It's a short film. It's called Canetta. Okay. So I'm going to check that out. Uh, apparently. And this is not a term that we knew in America, but he is part of what they call the Greek weird wave. Oh, really? Yeah. So his film's in the style of the Greek weird wave. And he's like basically Greek new wave, but they call it weird wave because his movies are weird. That is fascinating. I did not know this was uh, going on in Greece right now. That's cool. So they also are showing this month Alps. Okay. Which is I, I definitely weird and I recommend it. However, the Coupe de Gras, and it took me a long time for I could find this movie, mm-hmm. and we never talked about it on the show, but I watched it, and if it wasn't for the fact that it came out in 2009, it probably mm-hmm. would have made my decade list for this decade is so great, is Dogtooth. Okay. Dogtooth is something I'll never forget after watching it. Okay, that's a rabbit hole I'm willing to go down. You are going to, like, if you don't love Dogtooth- <laughs> Even if you say, well, I had some reservations about it, which you may say, you, this movie is a movie where I might like it even more after we get a chance to talk about it. Okay. But it is it is just, wow. So anyways, you want to catch up on your Lanthimos, those three are going to be in April. Okay. Yeah. They're not on there yet. So Here's something I'm going to watch. Last year, they showed Taxi Driver with their... Uh, laser disc commentary from the late eighties with oh, Scorsese cool. and Schrader. And it was amazing because here, if you think about it, they're showing taxi driver and they recorded this maybe like just 11 or 12 years after it had come out. 
Right, right, right. Yeah. And when they're talking there, you know, we don't have another 30 plus years of history where people have various thoughts about the ending. Right. However, if you listen to their Laserdisc, which came only 12 years where people really weren't spending a lot of time analyzing the ending, they have very definite thoughts about the ending. Oh, they do? Yes. Such as? Such that it, it really happened. That it really happened. Yeah, and that it's not in his head. Yeah, that I, that's what I always thought. There's a lot of people that feel like the ending is his version of a happy ending and that he's actually like that he dies. Right, and that this is his little last temptation of Christ moment. Yeah, yeah. So anyways, it's just interesting, but guess what they're going to do in April? Raging Bull with the Laserdisc oh. commentary. Oh, I'll definitely check that out. I've got to hear him talk about yeah. Raging Bull. So, and and that's the original commentary probably from like the early 90s, right? Maybe it's even the late 80s. Wow, okay. Yeah, laser discs were big in the 80s, my friend. And yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, Criterion's been around for a while. So I'm that that is a that is a must for me in April. And then the last thing just for people who maybe never seen any of his films, I certainly have not seen enough, but they're doing a 100th birthday celebration of the late great Toshiro Mifune. Oh, cool. Okay. So that's a great, you know, maybe an opportunity to see how amazing that guy was. Yeah, he was pretty amazing. Okay, so we just went through a lot of stuff, <laughs> and now we're going to finish the 80s. Wait, you really think we can finish the 80s today? I, think, I, I think we can. You think we got enough time for that? Okay, let's Probably do it. Probably not, <laughs> but you're going to try. We're going to get one year into this. <laughs> In the next five years of the 80s are going to take us five episodes. <laughs> okay, 1985, for those who are counting, uh, this is an interesting year. Uh, the, the winner is a movie that I've seen once with my dad, and I didn't really like it, and maybe uh-huh. it's better now that I'm an adult if I watched it, if I could ever stomach to watch it again, is Out of Africa. Oh. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, this, to me, is the English patient of the 80s. I yeah, just don't understand That's a great it. description of it. I mean, oh, yeah. Sidney Pollack, right? Sidney Pollack. Yeah, and it, it's such like a, it's such a bland movie. Right. It, it, yeah. It's it's <laughs> snooze fest, but it's also this like white people in Africa narrative. Yep. That is kind of weird now in retrospect, and it's just a uh, yeah. It's just oh, what a bland movie. This was this is how they were making uh, they were making Academy decisions in the eighties. These re- I don't know who was alive in the Academy then, but this is the movie that oh. Oh man, yeah. That's not something I'm in any hurry to ever watch again. Uh, me neither, sir. This is this is interesting, and I'm I'm curious because I don't think you probably like this movie. Right. I did at the time. I saw it opening day with my friend. We actually went down to Harvard Square to see it because it was one of those that was opening up in just like you know one or two theaters. And, right. Right. Uh, and we thought it was great because we were big fans of this director. It was his first like real adult kind of movie in many years, okay. and it, I think it's controversial for a lot of reasons. But there's probably still people that think it's good. And there's people that think it's terrible. And I can't really tell you where I am today on it because I haven't seen it in probably 30 or so years. And it's The Color Purple. Yeah. Okay. I haven't seen it in 30 some odd years. I really liked it when I first saw it. Okay. So you're like me. We thought it was good. Uh, I thought it was good. I saw it probably once or twice more on video. Okay, and that's same with me. I probably saw it when it was like on HBO or something. You know? Exactly. Yeah, some uh, in the eighties. Yeah, it's it's it has a comp- really complicated reputation now. Our, our conversation on race is in a different place than it was then. 
and I think that probably, uh, if I watched it again, that would affect how I see the movie. Yeah. And also, though, it did introduce the world, and there are two great performances to Whoopi Goldberg. Yes. And Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> and Oprah Winfrey, an incredible performance, yeah. And it's, you know, of course, it, it's Spielberg, so it's well-made. But he got snubbed for Best Director, and that was the big story that year. Yeah, that was the big story, yeah. And it won, it was like nominated for like 11 Academy Awards. It won zero. Yeah, I remember it getting shut out. And I don't know why exactly it got shut out. Well, that was the thing. So people really thought, I think there were, the, the knock was that people were jealous of Spielberg and his success. Right, okay. But then again, of course, so the way, it, you know, this was the director's branch. So, uh, and I'll tell you who got the slot instead. Yeah. And while you might not disagree with that choice to get nominated for best director, then you could you have to start to say, well, is the color purple was the direction worse than the three other movies that got nominated right. for best director? So <laughs> the next one on the list was weird because nobody saw this. I didn't see it till video. It is a great movie. It got nominated for best director, not the color purple, was Kiss of the Spider Woman. Oh, you know what? Never saw it. Really? But it has an amazing performance. Is William Hurt and- yeah. um, Is it Raul Julia? Yeah. So Raul Julia. Uh, yeah. The two of them are fantastic. Both nominated for Best Actor. Uh, William Hurt was the winner that year. And so I think, I feel like it was Hector Babanko. I believe, that. yes, it was Hector Babanko. Yeah. And so he got nominated for Best Picture and Director, not The Color Purple. Not The Color Purple. Weird. Then there was a movie that, again, maybe as an adult, I'll watch it and think it was great. But I don't think this movie is as great as some of the critics did at the time. And only maybe because it was this thing where this director was sort of – he was in his twilight years and it was sort of a comeback for him. And so people really liked it was Pritzi's Honor by John Huston. Oh, yeah. To me, that is a – I – I didn't dislike it, but it's to me, it's a pretty average movie. Yeah, I'm not really going, oh, I should, I should look that up and see that again. Right. Yeah. I, it, in my memory, it's it, it was nothing wrong with it, but not, definitely not, uh, not one of the greatest films. Yeah, and that one best director, I mean, I'm sorry, it was nominated for best director. Yeah. Uh, again, Steven Spielberg was not. And then the last of the five was Witness, Peter Weir. Okay. Um, you know, I liked it. <laughs> Which is a movie that I have seen way too many times. I've seen it probably a good three or four times. I've seen it probably a good 20 times. So you were a big fan of it as a kid? No, I uh, I actually, I taught it for a while. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So you'd show it. So what was it about that film that you found that it was a good teaching tool? First of all, it was uh, available on Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but it's a really uh, incredibly well-structured screenplay. It's almost like a perfect Hollywood screenplay. It hits all the beats just right. It also has, you know, it's like, it's got a murder mystery. It's got a romance, this look into another world. It's got a, basically it just, it checks all the boxes for sort of classical Hollywood narrative screenwriting. Well, it, it was nominated uh, for several awards, and the only time in film history 
that Harrison Ford was nominated for Best Actor. Yes. So out of so those are the five. And for me personally, and again, I'd have to rewatch. This is just a year where I like none of those movies yeah. were really my favorite. I was very sad as a as a fifteen year old who was in the movies that that Color Purple a didn't win that year and also right. didn't get nominated. The one director that took his spot. Mm-hmm. And I have not seen this movie, but I, it's probably on Criterion, and I should. Is Akira Kurosawa's *Ran*? That's a good movie. I bet it is, and I should see it. <laughs> That's one of the few movies that that I didn't get to see. Yeah, that should, probably should have won Best Picture. So I'll have to check that out. Yeah, um, and so we'll get back to that. Now we're going to move on for time. 1986. Yeah. And this is an interesting year. Uh, this was a slam dunk. Like there was no way this movie wasn't going to win Best Picture. It was part of the cultural conversation. It was a massive success. Uh, Platoon. Yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. I now it, it, again. It just so happens that year was a good year. There was two movies that I liked better than Platoon, uh-huh. uh, and they were both nominated for Best Director, not both for Picture. But we'll get to that okay. in a second. So the second movie on the list. Children of a Lesser God, mm-hmm. and that was directed by female Randa Haynes, not yep. nominated for Best Director. Yes. Women so snubbed. Yep. And, you know, that's one of those things where it was a good movie. I've seen it maybe a couple times, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. Uh, yeah, whatever. That's how I feel about it. Now, the next film is one that was definitely in my best of the decade that year, so it was certainly best of the year for me, even though over time I think I've liked another film more than that, but Hannah and Her Sisters. Oh, yeah, that's that's a great... I don't know, are we still allowed to like Woody Allen yeah, movies? Well, yeah, again, I'm not going to... No, I mean, you know, I, I have some very interesting thoughts on the whole Woody Allen thing, but I'm just not for this program. Yeah, but, but definitely that's one of his better movies. Yeah, I mean, you have to understand, we're going to put you into the late 80s. When I went to school at NYU, that's where I went to film school, and at the time, and I'm just for anybody that's, you know, only understands Woody Allen through today's yeah. lens, but I'm putting you in the 80s for a large section of the people who went to NYU to, to study film, Woody Allen was considered a god. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, he could, he was consistently putting out really solid movies. This is one of his best films, uh, one of his best written movies. Yep. It has uh, so much going on, great performances. And it's interesting is I think it's a commentary. I think he made two commentaries on the 80s. And one was Hannah and his sisters and one is coming up in a couple of years, which is crimes and misdemeanors. And I feel like Hannah and his sisters, though he may not think of it as positive, it's kind of the positive spin on the 80s. Can anything can happen? Right. Fairy tales can can make do ending, whereas Crimes and Misdemeanors is very cynical. Very cynical, Of what the 80s really were, and it's the bookend. Uh, So Hannah and His Sisters, I think, is to me, is a masterpiece. Uh, So I wish that he had won Best Picture and Director, but at the same time, I got it. I knew that year he was not going to win. Yeah, you can't. Platoon was a massive cultural moment. Yeah, I will tell you something. Uh, So it started out, it was just in Boston, and my dad and I went to go see it, and it was sold out, like lines down the block. Right, I knew it was right. a big deal. I was very crushed. My dad had like a half a day from work one day. We went back to see it like on an afternoon. Right. And we went in Boston. When it came to the multiplexes, which I was now working at. Right. It, the lines were out the door for that. And I remember an afternoon performance 
we I was sweeping the hallway and the door to platoon smashed open and a guy flew out and he knocked over a trash bin and he stormed out. He was all messed up. Something in that movie triggered him. He was a oh, Vietnam vet. Wow. And so for everybody who either thought this was a real experience or it wasn't, you know, my dad, of course, I asked him. He didn't, yeah. he wasn't in Vietnam, but he, he was in the service. He was saying, well, some things were overblown. But then there were people that this experience brought something back to them. And yeah. that's pretty powerful for a movie to do that. Yeah, I have a friend who was in Vietnam and he, I remember talking to him about Vietnam movies. And he said that Platoon tapped into something that none of the other movies had for him, which was the complete insanity and craziness of it. And, and that that's what, you know, he said it was just insane. It was completely crazy. And Platoon got that in a way that some of the other movies didn't. I thought that was an interesting comment. So, I mean, that was a good choice, but like I said, I personally, Hannah and Sisters to me was like a film right. that I, I, I was recognized, you know, so. And for me, Platoon does not hold up very well. Yeah. I mean, it's not a movie I would go back to and watch over again. And it probably, again, now we're so far away from Vietnam Yeah, that, you know, the experience was really tied into filmmakers who were involved as soldiers in Vietnam, getting yes. a chance to, to really hash out their experiences. So it was, yeah. it's not part of the conversation today. It was then. Yeah. But also the movie is a little bit corny and heavy handed. I haven't seen it in a long time. I'll be honest. And I, and I'm sure, I'm sure you're right. You know, and that's yeah. the thing is, it's, yeah, and, and of course now we know Oliver Stone, he's got a heavy hand. He's got a very heavy hand and you know, yeah, you, you definitely, it's there in platoon more so than say in Salvador, which is my favorite Oliver Stone movie. I've seen it. Yes. Uh, same year, by the way, uh, James Woods was nominated for best actor that year. Yes. So, so he had a really good year. Um, anyways, a couple more movies nominated the mission Roland Jaffe. Okay. And I, you never saw it. No, I've seen it. Oh, I, just, I mean, it was good. Yeah, but uh, not not my cup of tea. Yeah, it fill, it filled out the roster. Uh, yeah, great score by Eno Marcon. Yeah, great great score. And then a room with a view. Okay. You know. Yeah. I actually liked it. I saw it in the theater. Oh really? Uh, yeah, I saw it in the theater. I think it was like a friend of mine. Once it got nominated for best picture again, I went off, and I was actually you know I was like, oh, this is delightful. This is way better than I thought. I thought I was going to be bored stiff, but I wasn't. Yeah, no, it's a decent movie. I've never wanted to see it again. <laughs> yep, me neither. I saw nope. I saw it when I worked at the video store, and I haven't seen it since, and I don't really care. Yeah. So, anyways, I feel bad for <laughs> Children of the Lesser God. I would have maybe slotted out. You know, giving her the room with a view director spot. Right. Because you cannot deny this movie for best director because it really deserved to also be best picture nominee, David Lynch for Blue Velvet. Yeah, really should have been best picture nominee. That's all it got. It got one nominee, but the director's branch knew that there was like, you may have hated it, you may have loved it, but there was nothing quite like it. Nothing quite like it. And I'll say this for it too. It, uh, It holds up. Oh, absolutely. Matter of fact, I'd say that I got more out of it on subsequent viewings. Oh, me too. Me too. As as I've gotten older, I appreciate the film more and more. And yeah, to me, it totally holds up. It does not, it, it is aged very well, uh, unlike some of the other movies on the, on that list for that year. Well, I would say all of those films, except for Blue Velvet, because Blue Velvet was already, it had a timeless quality, even though it was yeah. set in 1986. It felt like a different time. That was a whole design yes. of his. Yes. And 
if you were to study any of those five and really understand, well, what does a director bring to the table? And it's that, point of that. view. It's that it's that movie. That was the only one I would show to people out of those five if I had to. Yeah. Yep. All right. 1987. Okay. So we're, we're moving faster than last week. Well, this one you're going to be, there was a lot of great movies that probably came out that year. However, you didn't see them nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to even save the last one of the actual winner. But uh, so uh, Moonstruck. <laughs> Okay. I saw it in the theater when it came out. Yeah. It was totally enjoyable. Never had any desire to see it again. Yeah. And you know what? Comedies it shouldn't have to. I've seen it actually a few times. I actually rewatched uh, almost the whole thing recently just to kind of oh, wow. check it out again. Yeah. And you know, sometimes when you need a little cheering up, there's a Moonstruck. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And actually nominated for Best Director as well. A uh, movie I really like, haven't seen it in years, but I really did like it. Also nominated for Best Director, John Borman's Hope and Glory. I really like Hope and Glory a lot, actually. I saw it again about 10 years ago. Yeah, I really like it. It's, that's a whole subgenre, actually, I think, is the child child's view of war. Yeah, and it was one of the, you know, for me at the time, I was only 17 when I saw it. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't seen a movie that told World War II from the perspective of a child who, how do they deal with the fear and all that? Like, they literally just, they don't see any of that. Exactly, <laughs> They yeah. think of it as sort of a fun adventure. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, really, I really like that movie. That's, to me, that's a hidden gem. Like, people should dig that up and watch it. And it's it's definitely, I don't know if it's available now, but I've seen it available for streaming. So, People should check it out. And here it is. This was, I mean, again, it was it was a, a smash hit cultural conversation. And did it have any business being a Best Picture nominee? No. But Best Picture and Director, Adrian Lyne, Fatal Attraction. Oh, oh, well, God. you know, that's it all. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Even at the time, it was a lousy movie. Well, a lot of people knew that. But that, that didn't stop the Academy would always, they didn't. They would throw a big, huge box office sensation of bone every once in a while. Yeah. And that was a major box office sensation. It was. And it wasn't even, it was more of it than just a box office sensation. It was really tapped into this idea of, you know, the late 80s and that the male trying to get away with whatever they yes. want to and thinking they're the emperor and that, but it was still unhinged woman, you know? <laughs> like, it was still unhinged woman. Yeah. And it's still just kind of a cheap thriller. It's an artifact. Yeah. Um, another movie I didn't really think was that great at the time. I've seen it subsequent, and it's more of a, I appreciate it. I just don't think it's that great. And it was nominated for Best Picture, but not Director, was Broadcast News. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's got some good moments. It's got some good performances. I remember I didn't see it in the theater, but, uh, you know, a lot of people really loved it. And so I saw it uh, when I worked at the video store and I thought it was fine. Yeah. I just was never it's one of those we've talked about it before is movies that they uh, critics see something and then you watch it and it's just how many times am I going to have to see it before I get it? <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. Yeah. James Brooks, you know, I've seen most of his movies and uh, most of them I've only seen once. Yeah. Oh. And that and that's been enough. Yeah. I mean, broadcast news, another one of those. Also, there's a theme of like good movies that for me, the reason why they're not great is they just kind of the the third act. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of there. So he didn't get nominated for best director. The person who did instead and can't disagree here. Great, great choice was Lassie Hallstrom's My Life as a Dog. Oh, yeah. That was a good movie. Yep. Now, here's the winner. And I've seen it one time, and I found it just <laughs> like, I, I, I found it just like uh, out of Africa. I mean, maybe now I'd find it better was Bernardo Bertolucci's The Last Emperor. 
Won every award that year. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, Well, because it's just, it's like an awards bait movie. It's just like, it's got lots of big epic shots and... Beautiful colors. Beautiful colors. And it, it has this sense of importance about itself. Yeah. But it doesn't really ever take off. So, I mean, again, I feel like, well... I'd be interested in watching it again, but it'll probably be the same experience. Which is the movie is kind of inert. Now, it was they had 70 millimeter prints, but I never got out to the theater yeah. to see it in 70 millimeter. I ended up seeing it a second run. I would have liked to, if I had to see it, I wish I could have seen it in 70 millimeter. The but. cinematography is nice. Yeah, it's Vittorio Storaro. He won an Oscar for it. And... Yeah, it, it looks it looks fantastic, but it just, yeah, it, it never grabbed me. It always seemed a little bit, I don't know, just too practiced somehow like i said i'm willing to give it another chance but i'm not rushing out to, yeah. to find it okay we're going to move on we're going to continue 1988 now this was interesting it was my senior year in high school and also my first half of my freshman year of college yeah and i would say that all of the films nominated for best picture were movies that came out at the end of the year so they were all things i saw right. while i was attending my first year of college at usc uh, the winner Best Picture, Best Director, it was really the one that was going to win. Like, everybody predicted it was going to win was Rain Man. Right. I liked it. I liked it a lot then. I I thought it was great. Yeah, I thought it was great at the time. I I loved it at the time. It's probably a good screenplay breaking down, you know? It is. Yeah, it's just such a... It it didn't age well. Especially the Dustin Hoffman performance. We didn't know anything about autism for most people then. Exactly. Now, you know, you know, (laughs) you know. Yeah, now, yeah, now it's just not, it's not okay. Now, the movie I liked better than Rain Man, and of course, it also, it had a lot of controversy at the time, but I, I did love it, and it maybe, it would probably seem even more dated in today's lens, was Mississippi Burning. Yeah, that, uh, I liked it a lot of the time. Uh, I don't think it ages well. No, I, I yeah. can imagine. I can imagine it won't. Uh, this movie did not get nominated for Best Director. I enjoyed it, though was The Accidental Tourist. Kasdan, right? Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah, I uh, I saw it in the theater at the time. I I guess I wanted to like it more than I actually did. I, I respected it. <laughs> yeah, I guess I respected it, but it didn't, it, it wasn't something that I got really excited about at the time. Yeah, but I would say that, I can't think of all the movies from 88 that I probably like more, but I think that Roger Rabbit did a lot more as a movie and right. I'd rather have seen that be nominated, but what are you going to do? Have you seen that again recently, Roger Rabbit? No, I saw it. I loved it when it first came out. I saw it yeah. several times in the theater, twice yeah. in 70 millimeter, but it probably didn't age well either. It did not age well. It was a technological marvel at the time. Yes. And now that technology, I mean, we're jaded. It's not. It's not going to feel at all like it did then. It doesn't feel at all like it did then. A lot of the humor doesn't really work for me. No. And then also, even though Bob Hoskins is great, I mean, he's acting to nothing. And a lot of times it looks like he's acting to nothing. Exactly. Yeah. I try, you know, my kids couldn't even make it through the whole movie. Neither could mine. Yeah. However, instead of Accidental Taurus getting director, the movie that probably should have been Best Picture, but it would probably would have caused all sorts of controversy. <laughs> it, it got one nomination for only it was Best Director. Totally agree with this. I think it's a masterpiece. Martin Scorsese's Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised that didn't get more nominations. Well, especially the Peter Gabriel score is yeah. amazing. 
But I remember it was huge controversy. I mean, there huge were controver- you know, crazy controversy. Crazy Yeah, yeah. Picketing and. I was fortunate enough that while I was attending USC, uh, remember the uh, Oscar season was later every year. So right, this right. is 89. We were invited. We got to go on a bus. Uh, you could sign up. And it was part of like the film, you know, because USC had a big film school there and stuff. So they had connections. I think it was at the DGA. Um, it was some big theater in, you know, Beverly Hills or wherever right. those things are. And got to see it. I'd already seen it once, but I got to see it a second time. Beautiful theater. It might have been in 70 millimeter because it was just the sound right. and the picture. But I wouldn't know the technical details. However, this is the best part. So it was an Academy type screening. Right. Martin Scorsese got to have a Q&A at the end. Oh, And awesome. it was something I'll never forget. So that was really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. So there was like, a, you got to see the movie and then a whole Q&A about the controversies and what he was trying to do, the struggles to make it. I mean, it was just fantastic. That's cool. That's okay. very cool. Another movie, Best Picture, I really liked it, didn't get nominated for Best Director, was Dangerous Liaisons. Yeah. I, um, I didn't like it at the time. I've seen it several times, or I should say, I haven't seen it in years, but I saw it several times then. I liked it more the more I saw it. Okay. Yeah, I think I only saw it. I, I Yeah, I may have only seen it that one time in the theater, and I was not a big fan of it. So the first time, I liked parts of it, and by the end of it, I was like, eh. However, I had to see it uh, multiple times because there were girls I knew that they were uh, taking this like freshman film class and you had to analyze certain movies and they were not film students. I wasn't a film student at USC either, but I wanted to be. So like, right, right. So I got all of the things they took me along to see dangerous liaisons (laughs) so that I could help them break down the movie. And that was kind of fun. But the more I saw the movie, I enjoyed it. Okay. But director that year instead, and I thought this was a very interesting choice, another big hit, and it just shows you that occasionally the Academy recognizes the brilliance of directing a comedy. Oh, right. And he was like 80 at the time or 81, Charles Crichton, A Fish Called Wanda. Yeah, which was, at the time, I loved it. I mean, I just thought it was a brilliant movie. Watched it a couple years ago or, or maybe a year and a half ago with my oldest son. He didn't find it very funny. We watched the whole thing. It was a little dated, but I, I, I yeah, I, I can see it not holding up that well. But at the time, I loved it. And then another movie that was a big hit at the end of that year, and I enjoyed it. I absolutely did, but I, I would never have nominated for Best Picture or anything. Was Working Girl? I would never have nominated. Yeah, that <laughs> no. movie. No, that that movie needs to be left in the eighties. Yeah, but you know, Mike Nichols. So everybody, loved, you know, whatever. So that was that. That was that was a completely average movie. Yeah, it was a great crowd pleaser, but I never saw yeah. anything of it that said, oh, this movie should be nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> no, no, not, no. So anyway, we're that down at the final year, and this should take us not much time. It's yeah. just more of a refresher because a year ago we did our Academy Award picks. Right, right. And we actually focused on this year of 1989. Yes. So I'm just going to kind of read the nominees again. And just for laughs, reminding you that not only it won Best Picture, even though it was not nominated for Best Director at all, was Driving Miss Daisy. Yeah. Which, thinking of the wealth of movies that could have been, weren't even picked for nominees that year, the fact that Driving Miss Daisy was the winner is so shameful. It is shocking. It's horrible. It's a it, it's a travesty. Just no, that movie is just awful. Not even a top ten for me. 
Oh, no, 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 yeah. no, no. It was, I, I hated that movie at the time. I hate it even more now. I think it's just <laughs> awful. I think it's awful. It's a terrible movie. Nobody should ever watch it. <laughs> but thankfully, they at least, and this is what I think aggravated me the most, because they at least recognized Woody Allen for Crimes and Misdemeanors, though that right. wasn't nominated for Best Picture. And I thought that, for me, that was my favorite film of the year. Yeah. And I actually think it was one of the best of the decade. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah, I don't have it. I don't have a decade list compiled, but but it's definitely up there for that. Yeah, it's definitely up there. So at least they got the directors got it right. Born on the 4th of July, that actually won best director because it's like, well, what else can we pick? Um, right. That movie, I didn't think it was that great at the time, and I don't think it's really aged that well. I saw it two or three times uh at the, in the theater for some reason. People wanted to see it and it was like, okay, I guess I'll go with you again i at the time i thought it was pretty good in the way that oliver stone is always kind of pretty good yeah never well he's let us down sometimes but yeah well his his last few films have been a letdown but uh in the 80s he was doing pretty great anyways that was the best director can't believe it um again movies that weren't even nominated for anything but again i would have put it as a list i mean you can think of uh spike lee's do the right thing that was a big controversy that year that he didn't get any kind of nominee i remember yeah. kim basinger at the oscars that was embarrassing it was because she shouldn't have you can't bring that up because no. it's basically saying other movies didn't deserve it even though some of them didn't right but there's also other movies very deserving that didn't get nominated so there was things like sex Life and videotape mm -hmm. and one of my favorites of the year that didn't get nominated was drugstore cowboy mm-hmm and another personal favorite of mine, though I can understand people would argue for other things, was uh, The Fabulous Baker Boys. Oh, yeah. You love that movie. Oh, I loved it. I uh, still do. Anyways, uh, but here's here's did get nominated was Dead Poets Society. Oh, God. <laughs> you know, I that mean, movie I, is, that movie is terrible. I mean, I, I no, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's not a good movie. If it hadn't been nominated for Best, Best Picture and Director, we'd probably be like, oh, yeah, Dead Poets Society was good. Well, I guess it's OK. It's fine. But no, 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 it's not. It's terrible. Oh, it's, captain, my captain. <laughs> oh, it's no, it's it's a it's a terrible movie. Well, there it is. It, it lives in infamy. And <laughs> another film that I actually thought was a, a great, you know, great movie. But would I put it on Best Picture? I don't know. It didn't get nominated for Best Director was Field of Dreams. Uh, I would definitely not have put that on Best Picture. <laughs> but I liked but, it. <laughs> but I liked it. I thought it was totally enjoyable. I saw it in the theater. I saw it several times after that. It just shows you how white the Academy is, man. You know, no, yeah, Do the no Right kidding. Thing does stand the test of time. It's just as a movie that's so powerful. And then there's Field of Dreams, which I And then I love, there's Field but... of Dreams, which I, I, I think I saw it again about a decade ago. I saw it only a few years ago, and I could say that uh, Do the Right Thing does not make me cry. Field of Dreams does make me cry. Yeah. So I guess, you know, I'm there a white you go. guy. I'm a white there guy. There you go. You're... <laughs> but, uh, you know, I feel bad for Radio Rahim. It just doesn't make me cry. Um, anyways. I, I actually haven't seen Do the Right Thing in a very long time. So it would be interesting to look back at it because it's definitely of a time and place. I think now I'm at the, at the point where my son... I, I, now I can watch these things with him. In a couple of years, I probably would show that to him. I don't know if he'd enjoy yeah. it as much now, but it's I, I definitely want to see it again. Yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. Instead of Field of Dreams, Kenneth Branagh, Henry V, that was another one that I, I wished would have been nominated for Best Picture instead because I yeah. loved Henry V. And Kenneth Branagh I loved never that did too. anything as good as that again. Hamlet's pretty good. I love, I saw Hamlet in theater. Yeah. 70 millimeter, baby. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, you say Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh never did anything good. I, of course, picked the other Shakespeare movie, right? Much Ado About Nothing? Yeah, oh, I love Much Ado About Nothing. 
I like his Shakespeare movies. The rest of his movies, uh, yeah, I guess they exist. They do. Um, and then the last film, which I, I think at the time I thought, well, the only one of the five that maybe I would have put in my best picture slot would was okay. But I mean, I just, I've seen it twice. And the last yeah. time was like maybe a year after it first came out. Never desired to see it again. It was my left foot. Yep. I think I saw it probably twice, once in the theater, once. Uh, yeah, once on video or cable. And once on video. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, it's a good performance. But I don't have a lot of desire to see the movie. I just think what's interesting, especially in that second half that we just covered today, that most of the films, the iconic films of the 80s that we really think about a lot, especially in the second half of the decade for the Academy Choices, they're not movies that were anywhere near getting nominees. (laughs) Not at all. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's really interesting, like which movies, you know, from the last decade, from the 2010s, which ones of those are going to stand out and be remembered and still be watched in 20 or 30 years? When we dive into those categories, which again, you know, it's going to be a long time before we're going to get to the theater. So I think that we just keep going on this because I bet you people do find this interesting. I think that's a, a way we we should look and talk about those films as will we remember them or yes. not which one of these films because honestly like i had completely forgotten that out of africa existed oh yeah i mean i've no i mean there are people <laughs> right. there are people i recognize i don't know who they are they're probably the same people that love the english patient that love out of africa okay i uh, i take your word for it the 90s will not be our next installment if all goes well next friday uh, which is when we tape. Uh, we will. Sorry. You're like, what is yeah. next Friday? I'm listening to this. It's Monday or Tuesday. Um, no. Well, next week when we tape. Next, next episode. We should have, if all goes well, we have a guest. Uh, she's going to come on and we're going we're gonna to talk. Our focus will be on female directors. So I think that ought to be really yeah. interesting. So get to, get excited for that, people. And uh, till next time, go see some stuff. Uh, on video or, or <laughs> don't don't go to the theater. Don't go gonna, to the theater because it's probably closed. Yeah, you're going to be like, why is uh, the Invisible Man not playing? <laughs> well, that's because that's why if I go to my marquee at the theater, they, they still got all the titles up, but there's nothing playing there, right? So that's what you'd still see there. You'd see that right. Pixar movie. But now the Pixar movie and Invisible Man, if you really wanted to see them, you can just rent them for $20 at home. Wait, the Pixar movie you can rent too? Yeah. What was it called? Onward? No, I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, well, you can rent that for $20. I I saw the trailer for that movie. Zero desire to see it. Yeah, my kids don't want to see any Pixar movies anymore. Well, I don't, I'm fine with Pixar movies, but this one just had no, uh, nothing about it interested me. They had so many hits for so many years and I was waiting for when the, when the bottom would drop out and it did. And it did. It eventually happened. But, uh, you know, again, as we part and you mentioned that you did mention to me offline that you got the Disney plus. I did. I got the Disney plus. So have you watched anything on the Disney plus? The Simpsons. <laughs> That's what you're watching. Okay. Well, there you go. All right. Well, I told you I was watching stuff with my kids. Well, I didn't know if you guys were watching The Mandalorian. Not yet. I'm waiting to hear, you know, you get get caught up on The Mando. There's 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's Please don't go watching every season of The Simpsons again. Well, you know, it's funny is that my kids, they love The Simpsons too. So. Yeah. I do not love The Simpsons. 
Oh, you don't? Nope. Not that I, I don't hate them, but it's just, ugh. I mean, that, 30, 30 years of that? Uh, no. <laughs> Five years of that was enough. But I do watch Family Guy, which you I am don't not watch. a uh, I'm not a Simpsons fanatic. Uh, I never was. My, my wife is more of one. Okay, yeah. No, I'm not one of those people who rewatched. It was about probably, you know, six or seven years when I would watch it fairly regularly. Yeah, same with me. In the 90s. Yep. I would watch it when it was on usually. And uh, but I then I stopped watching it, never really went back to it and didn't rewatch episodes. I, I've, I've never been a Simpsons fanatic, but my kids enjoy it. So what are you going to do? Well, you got to you know, you got to be there for the kids. You, you got to, especially now. OK, until next time. Yeah. So, you know, hey, there should be a next time, because even if we got exposed to coronavirus today, next week would probably still feel OK. Yes. <laughs> so we don't know how many episodes <laughs> after next week. We're taking it one day at a time, as everyone else is. So, yep, and we're still gonna, like I said, we was we're gonna be there for you, and we're gonna keep talking about movies and Academy Award nominees, <laughs> giving you stuff to catch up on. All right, remember stuffweseen.com and uh, stuff we seen at Instagram there, and all that fun stuff. Sounds good. Oh, and feedback at stuffweseen.com. Yeah, yeah, Maybe, yeah. Feedback is. Yeah, just send us your feedback. I know. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I, I don't have the energy anymore now. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> good times. Okay, good. All right. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>